0: What's up? It's your boy, Ruby Rube at Gathering Strength, the podcast. With me as always, DJ Callie. Hit him with another one. I hope you're enjoying your lovely spring Sunday. It is gorgeous weather over here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I told myself that I was gonna sleep in on this lazy Sunday, but deep down I knew I was gonna get it in. So my sleeping in is. Waking up before 4 o'clock in the morning. I woke up, rested, checked my... I checked the the time. It was like 3.50. And I contemplated going to bed or going back to sleep. And then I must have wrestled wrestled with that thought for 3 minutes. And then I was like, you know what? Once again, the automaticity of these habits that I have solidified, they pull me up out of bed and... My spirit knows what I want to do, what I'm going to regret if I don't do. And therefore, the automaticity of these habits get me up out of bed involuntarily. Which brings us to the word of the day. Automaticity. Now what does that mean? Oh hey, glad you asked. The definition of automaticity is the quality or fact of being performed involuntarily or unconsciously as a reflex, innate process, or an ingrained habit. For example, the fact that when I wake up, I brush my teeth, and I don't even think about it. I just wake up, grab my toothbrush, squeeze some toothpaste on it, and I go through the motions of brushing my teeth. I have that routine perfected because i have spent many years going through that routine going through that habit my muscle memory is down i could do it blindfolded however my 4 year old daughter she is just learning that new skill so she is at the stage where she wants to do everything on her own she wants to put the toothpaste onto the toothbrush and because she's uncoordinated she will Put on way too much toothpaste, and it'll half of it won't even be on the the damn bristles. And then she wants to brush her own teeth, which is fine because we want to foster these habits. And she has to th- consciously think about the maneuvering and manipulating of that brush. You know, going back and forth, side to side, up and down. It is a much more arduous and meticulous process. It takes much more brain power for her to learn that new skill. Another habit that is, could be an example of automaticity is walking. You know, we, we take the routine of walking, the patterns, the muscle memory, the muscle coordination. We don't have to think, hey, I'm going to lift up my foot put it forward and catch myself. All right, cool. Now I'm in a staggered sense. Now I'm going to pick up my other leg and I'm going to move that forward and I'm going to catch myself so I don't fall. And now I'm just going to do that quicker and quicker. Nope. We don't need to do that because our brain has created a neural pathway which, which was given to us by learning and developing and creating those muscle those muscle patterns that muscle recognition so we have arrived at a place where walking is automatic automaticity for a lot of us riding a bike is automatic you can learn how to ride a bike in your childhood and not go on a bike for years and years and years but then once you get on that bike hey those patterns are ingrained in your in your being and you once you get onto the bike you know how to how to Ride the bike. Yeah, so automaticity is the ability to do things without occupying the mind. Occupying the mind with the low-level details because we have put in the repetition, the practice, and therefore we have learned something to where it is automatic. Automaticity, the word of the day. So now that we got the word of the day out of the way... That is the perfect word that is going to flow into a book that I'm going to recommend and talk about. The book is called Atomic Habits by the author James Clear. And this book made me realize how, one, how the brain works, two, how habits stick, three, it reaffirmed that the mindset and philosophy that I had as it pertained to trying to do something every single day to better myself, this book solidified it and then also enlightened some aspects in which I was unaware of. So the book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, uh, the first thing that he identifies is the definition of atomic. Um, the first meaning is an extremely small amount of a thing the single irreducible unit of a larger system. Irreducible means that, hey, you can't get any smaller of this larger system. So you can have a large system and then break it down. And then break that down. And then break that down. So you can break it, break something all the way down to the atomic level. And then also another definition for atomic is the source of immense energy or power. Ooh, keep that in mind. The source of immense energy of power. The definition of habit. Hey, it looks like we're getting multiple words of the days again. Hey, once again, when we increase our vocabulary and start to understand the truest definition of these words, then that's how we gain a, a firmer grasp on life. Knowledge is power. Words have power. So let's learn these words so we can... Empower ourselves. Atomic, I already gave you that definition. Habit, the definition is a routine or practice performed regularly, an automatic response to a specific situation. Ooh, there we go. So, hey, therefore, atomic habits is in the name of the book. And today, you go learn about atomic habits. So the author starts out how and explains how the book will benefit you. He opens up the book with a quote by Naval Ravikant, who is a very successful entrepreneur. He has his own book. I'll be covering that book in a future episode. Lots of wisdom in that one. So the entre- entrepreneur and investor Naval Ravikant said, To write a great book, you must first become the book. Ooh, that's, a, that's a good one. I originally learned about the ideas mentioned here because I had to live them. I had to rely on small habits to rebound from my injury, to get stronger in the gym, to to perform at a high level on the field, to become a writer, to build build a successful business, to simply to develop into a responsible adult. Small habits helped me fulfill my potential, and since you picked up this book, I'm guessing you'd like to fulfill yours as well. You know what? hey, he's right. I want to fulfill mine as well. And I have read this book. I've been able to implement some of the advice, the tips. And because your boy Ruby Rube wants you to fulfill your greatest works, this is why I'm sharing it with you because I know a lot of people are unaware of their own atomic habits. So atomic habits, that's the name of the book. But every single person has their own series of atomic habits. Now, the information that is contained in this book, uh, James Clear, the author, he writes, What I offer you is a synthesis of the best ideas smart people figured out a long time ago, as well as the most compelling discoveries scientists have recently made. So, this book, it is not just his opinion on what works. It's based by... Science, and he's building on top of what some of the smartest and brightest people who have come before him, what they discovered. So he has compiled all of the greatest work from the brightest minds of the past and what the breakthrough scientists are discovering as of recently. And he has it all packaged nicely in this book for you. And that is one of the benefits of reading. If you were to to set out on this journey yourself and go sort through all of the psychological papers, all of the human characteristics, go, go and do all of this work on your own, how long would that take you? We don't have time to do all this work. You know, um... This is why we read these books, because this James Clear guy, he already did the heavy lifting for you, for me. And all we have to do is spend some time to read this book. And now we can up our game into whatever we are trying to accomplish. So right on, James Clear. Thanks. Thanks, pal. And to reflect on a quote from Isaac Newton. If I have if I'm able to see further it's only because of the shoulders of the giants that I stand on. You know what? We get to stand on the shoulders of James Clear, which who he is standing on the shoulders of all of the other brilliant people who came before him. So hey, let let's go ahead and get on my shoulders cuz I'm going to lift you up a little bit so you can see a little bit further. James Clear goes on to write The backbone of this book is my four-step model of habits. Ooh, pay attention to this part. The four-step model is cue, craving, response, and reward. And the four laws of behavior change that evolve out of these steps. So once again, the four steps are cue, craving, response, and reward. And we will get into a little bit more depth about those, uh, those behavior models. And everything evolves out of, out of that cue, craving, response, and reward. There's an interesting aspect that James Clear goes on to write, and he says, Human behavior is always changing. Situation to situation, moment to moment, second to second. But, but this book is about what doesn't change. It's about the fundamentals of human behavior, the lasting principles you can rely on year after year, the ideas you can build a business around, build a family around, and build a life around. So fascinating stuff. He is going to write about what doesn't change, the fundamentals of human behavior, and i'm going to assume that you are a human so you might want to take note on some of these fundamental human behaviors because hey there you you were going to be put in a situation and doesn't matter what situation you're in it can be a situation that's changing from moment to moment or second to second doesn't matter it's about the Fundamentals of Human Behavior. Now he goes on to open up the book with a story about a professional cyclist team from Great Britain. And I'm just going to jump in really quick. He wrote, at the time, professional cyclists in Great Britain had endured nearly 100 years of mediocrity. Since 1908, British riders had won just a single gold medal at the Olympic Games, and they had fared even worse in cycling's biggest race, the Tour de France. In 110 years, no British cyclist had ever won the event. In fact, the performance of British riders had been so underwhelming that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to them because they were afraid that it would hurt sales if other professionals saw the Brits using their gear. In other words, they sucked very badly. So what did they do? James Clear goes on to write, "Uh, The coach had been hired, to put British cycling on a new trajectory. What made him different from previous coaches was his relentless commitment to a strategy strategy that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains, which was a philosophy of searching for, tiny mar, a, for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. The whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you can think of that goes into riding a bike, then improve it by 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. Now, you're probably asking, hey, really Rube, what does cycling have to do with my life? Well, let's look at your life. Let's look at your life as a whole. And then um, he goes on to write, let's break down your whole entire life, everything you, you can think of, and then try to improve it just a little bit. You will get a significant increase when you put them all together. Man, um, I I was just speaking of a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. The efficient worker works on the individual parts and then fashions them together to create a great whole. W-H-O-L-E. So once again, we are combining what Friedrich Nietzsche said with... What, what is being written by James Clear as he tells a story about a philosophy of a cycling coach. Hey, it's all coming together. James Clear goes on to write that. Um, The coach began to making small adjustments you might expect from a professional cycling team. They They redesigned the bike seats to make them more comfortable and rubbed alcohol on the tires for better grip. They asked riders to wear electrically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature while riding and using biofeedback sensors to monitor how each athlete responded to a particular workout. The team tested various fabrics in a wind tunnel and had their outdoor riders switch to indoor racing suits, which proved to be lighter and more aerodynamic. But they didn't stop there. The coach and his team continued to find 1% improvements in overlooked and unexpected areas. They tested different types of massage gels to see which one led to the fastest muscle recovery. They hired a surgeon to teach each rider the best way to wash their hands to reduce the uh, chances of catching a cold. They determined the type of pillow and mattress that led to the best night's sleep for each rider. They even painted the inside of the team truck white, which helped them spot bits of dust that would normally slip by unnoticed but but could degrade the performance of the finely tuned bikes. All of these and hundreds of other small improvements accumulated. The results came faster than anyone could have imagined. So this your boy, Ruby Rube, jumping in. So, man, he just did all of these little things. You would think, hey, why would you want your athlete to wash their hands? Hey, how about so they don't get cold, so that uh, that they don't get sick, so when it comes race day, they're feeling good. That's something you want to think of. How about identifying the best massage gel, which is going to promote better recovery so that you can get back into training in a more intense level so that you can gather your strength. You want to think about these things. They're overlooked, and this is the philosophy that this this cycling coach was starting to implement. A bunch of little tiny things adding up. And James Clear is going to go on and write. As these, um, oh, 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 sorry, just five years after the coach took over, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, where they won an outstanding 60% of the gold medals available. Um, four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, the Brits raced the bar as they set nine Olympic records and seven world records. Well, hey, fascinating stuff. All of those little things that were overlooked, the coach addressed them, which made them incrementally better, and next thing you know, they're bringing these gold medals home. During the 10-year span from 2007 2017, British cyclists won 178 World Championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. How does this happen? How does a team from previously ordinary athletes transform into world champions with tiny changes that, at first glance, would seem to make the modest a, a modest difference at best. Why do small improvements accumulate into such remarkable results? And how can you replicate this approach in life? Man, is it's always the small things that add up. the snowflake, enough of those things, and you have an avalanche. A little raindrop drop. When you start to pile up all these little raindrops, hey, next thing you know, we have a flood. How about a, a single little locust? Hey, well, when all of those things hatch at the same time, now you have a little a plague of locusts and they're swarming your, your, your farms, eating all your crops. In nature, it's always those little things that pile up and just run amok. And this is why I want to put into your mind that all of the little tiny things that you do and that I do they are adding up to huge results. And you know what? They're either working for you or they're working against you. Now, when we have the mindset to, hey, go out and gather these little incremental things that allow us to gather our strength, hey, then we're going to be on a trajectory that is heading up, where we're going to be gaining. But if we are blind to the fact that all of these little tiny things and how they work against us, then we're going to be going in a downward trajectory. Like, for example, if you're just drinking soda every day. If you are washing down your Doritos. Hey, you know, it's just a bag of Doritos. It's just a Coke. It's just fast food. But with enough time, your repeated habit, those small things, they add up. They will always add up for you or against you. James Clear goes on to write, Meanwhile, improving by 1% isn't particularly notable. Sometimes it isn't even noticeable, but it can be far more meaningful, especially in the long run. The difference a tiny improvement can make over time is astounding. Here's how the math works out. If you can get 1% better every day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. Conversely, if you get 1% worse each day day for one year, you will decline nearly down to zero. What starts as a small win or a minor setback accumulates into something much more. Habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. They seem to make little difference on any given day, and yet the impact they deliver over the months and years can be enormous. It is only when looking back two, five, or p- perhaps ten years later that the value of good habits and the cost of bad ones becomes, a strike- becomes strikingly apparent. Now, when you have a good habit working for you, that's going to be called an asset. When you have a bad habit working against you, Hey, well, you know, that's going to be costing you. James Clear goes on to identify how these seemingly unnoticeable things add up. And James Clear writes, Unfortunately, the slow pace of transformation also makes it easy to let a bad habit slide. If you eat an unhealthy meal today, the scale doesn't move much. If you work late tonight and ignore your family, they will forgive you if you procrastinate and put your project off until tomorrow there is usually time to finish it later. A single decision is easy to dismiss but when we repeat 1% errors day after day by replicating poor decisions duplicating tiny mistakes and rationalizing little excuses our small choices compound into toxic results. So I'm gonna fast forward To the chapter summary, because obviously I'm not going to cover this whole book, the intention for creating this episode is just to sow a little seed for you to go out and buy this book and then try to analyze and assess your life and then keep breaking every aspect of your life down all the way to the atomic level. Now you're going to need to figure out your why. Hey, you know what? Things are good. Things are going well. And hey, if you are living that perfect life where you have the perfect body, you have the perfect mindset, the perfect spirit, and the, the perfect, just overall, hey, you're Mr. Perfect, then hey, great, you don't need this book. But for the rest of us, I would implore you to go out and get this book. Chapter summary right here, your boy Ruby Rube. There are three levels of change. Outcome change process change and identity change. The most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. Um, there was an example in this book where there was someone who was trying to quit smoking and there was a situation where the ex or the person who was trying to stop smoking, they were offered a cigarette. One person said, hey, no, I don't want a cigarette. I'm trying to stop. And then the other person said, no, I don't want a cigarette. I'm not a smoker. So the second person who said, no, I don't want a cigarette. I'm not a smoker. They are already identifying and taking on the identity of an individual that doesn't smoke. Where the first person, they were... Subconsciously identifying as someone who was trying to quit, and therefore they were battling with it. And that battle, they subconsciously spoke into existence that, hey, no, I'm trying to quit. So that little that little nuance of changing your vocabulary and identifying as the person who you want to become. That's a little nugget right there. So, hey, your boy, Ruby Rube, wants you to identify with who you want to become and then speak, talk, act, eat, and bang like that person. Your identity, so James Clear goes on to write, your identity emerges out of your habits. Every action is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And he uses the word vote. Let's say you're trying to be a healthy person, And you do an exercise. Hey, you cast one vote that you are going to stick and become this person, this healthy person. If you um, go out and if you want to be healthy and you eat a a large sum of ice cream, hey, you know what? You're casting a vote in the wrong direction. So everything you do is going to be casting a vote for the type of person you wish to become. James Clear goes on to write, becoming the best version of yourself requires you to continuously edit your beliefs and to upgrade and expand your identi- identity. Now, how do we upgrade and expand our identity? It is by reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks. Our thoughts and our mind is the thoughts and mind that we earned. Now, in order for us to learn some new things we're going to have to get rid of some garbage that we have already learned and we're going to need to change out our information that we currently think of those thoughts that swirl around our mind that make us who we are hey um maybe we we need to upgrade on that james clear writes one more paragraph uh, in this chapter summary. The real reason habits matter is not because they can get you better results, although they can do that, but because they can change your beliefs about yourself. Now that is it, boys and girls, for today's 51st episode. Your boy, Ruby Rube, is going to continually be teaching what he knows. I'm going to be exposing y'all to some of the the tools and knowledge that has helped me to overcome many many things. And because I am a work in progress and I'm never done. When I over when I get to the summit of one mountain, I'm happy. But then I just see some other mountains to go and climb. So Every single day, I accept who I am, my weaknesses, my inadequacies, my shortcomings, but to live by a philosophical quote that resonated with me, spoken over 2,000 years ago by your boy Seneca, he said, as long as we live, let us continually learn how to live. And from my analysis of all the greats, of all of the people that I look up to and admire, they have, a, they have one single thing in common. And that is that they have a lifetime of learning. As brilliant and as smart as they are, they continually learn and they continually strive to expand their knowledge. And by golly, That's what your boy, Ruby Rube, is going to be doing for the rest of my life. Continually learning how to learn. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, give me a like, subscribe, and a follow. And until next time, it's onward. Always onward.